So if you do not want your return to be flagged or a possible audit, nobody does. Definitely don't be filing a loss year after year on that Schedule C like hobby business, whether whatever you're doing on there. And that does come up a lot because I know people are trying to balance like maybe you want to loss the first year or two and that can be expected sometimes, but you don't want to keep doing that year after year. Welcome to What Your CPA Wants You to Know. Tax and accounting help can be expensive, so we've created this podcast to help guide you through it all and make you feel like you have a CPA in your back pocket. I'm Carson Sands. And I'm Taryn Sands. I'm a CPA with over 10 years of experience helping people start and grow their businesses. And I'm an MBA with a specialization in marketing and entrepreneurship. Taxes suck and we want to make sure you don't pay more than your fair share. We're here to share everything your CPA wants you to know in a fun and easy to understand way. Let's get started. Let's do it. So the IRS should be accepting tax returns right now. So they said. At the time of this recording, they say that they're gonna start taking those January 29th And this recording should be airing the 31st. So they should be taking them by now. But things always change. You never know. Right. A lot of people didn't know that they actually stopped taking returns. So when do they generally stop taking returns? Uh, Usually in December, they stop taking returns. And they don't accept electronically filed income tax returns of any kind until late in January when they open that back up. That's when they go in and update their coding and their software for the new year of tax returns that are about to be due. Right. So if we're trying to file, which we had a handful of people that we were filing at the end of the year, we had to break it to them. We actually couldn't e-file their return until this date when they open it back up. You can always paper file in that case, but a lot of times the paper file takes so long for them to process that... If you do a refund and you file late, it's it's faster to just wait until they open up the e-filing again and your refund will come more quickly that way. Right. So that's what we do. We just wait. We tell them we'll file it in January because they're going to get it quicker that way than if we were to send in the paper mail. Of course, if you owe, a lot of times it makes sense to go ahead and file because then the penalties stop accruing. Today's episode is going to be all of your questions that are coming in about tax season. So all of the questions we're getting from our clients. And then I also pulled Instagram and we put all those together in an episode. And these are the questions we keep getting over and over again. So we're going to break all of these down for you, hopefully quickly, so that you'll have the answers before you start getting all of your tax documents ready and ready to file your tax return. So we felt like it was pretty necessary that we... Talk about the standard deduction first, because most people don't really understand how that works. And it changes every single year. So we're going to talk about that because that will help you understand these other deductions we're talking about and why we answer the question the way we do, like why it would be beneficial to use that or why you can't use it. The first thing you need to understand is the standard deduction. So what is the standard deduction this year? The standard deduction for single people in 2023 is $13,850. And if you're married filing joint, it's $27,700. And if you're over 65, then those numbers go up as well, or if you're blind. So sometimes they can be a little bit higher. 
Okay, so everyone has a little bit of different one, depending on how you file. So can you explain in layman's terms what the standard deduction is and how you use it? Sure. So whenever you prepare your tax return, you add up all the income from all the different sources, whether that's just W-2s or Schedule C businesses or Schedule E rental income property. And when you total up all that income, you get to take either the standard deduction against that, which just means you deduct a standard amount that everyone gets as a minimum, $27,700 if you're a married couple. And that is just subtracted from your income to reduce your taxable income. And it makes you pay a little bit less tax. Which is great because that is always a goal to get your taxable income down as low as possible because you won't pay as much in taxes lower that number is. So the IRS is the one that makes these standard deductions and that's what it is for this year. So if you had about $100,000 of joint income on your tax return, that would knock it down by 27,000. So the standard deduction is great, but the second part of that is understanding whether you'll be using the standard deduction or you'll be itemizing. So now we're gonna explain that. Itemized deductions are deductions that go on a form called Schedule A, and they include medical expenses, real estate taxes, and other types of state taxes like state income tax or sales tax, mortgage interest, and charitable contributions. There's a few others, but those are the main ones. Now, if all of those add up to more than your standard deduction, then you would take the itemized deductions because that would be a bigger deduction. Now, this is only going to be for people that had maybe a lot of medical expenses and are paying a lot of state and property taxes and had a lot of mortgage interest. Maybe you have a really high interest rate on your house and maybe had a lot of charitable contributions. So the standard deduction keeps increasing. And because of that, we're seeing that not many people are itemizing anymore. When the Tax Cuts and Job Act increased the standard deduction and actually doubled it, we saw that we went from about 30% of people having itemized deductions on their tax return to only about 10%. And in our firm, the times that we see that's happening is usually people that are donating quite a lot to charity or are tithing a lot. So that's right. really the only people that I usually see are going over that threshold. Yes, that's true. If you don't have some charitable contributions and, and quite a bit actually, then it's unlikely that you'll have enough to go over that threshold, especially because when they doubled the standard deduction, they also changed the rules for real estate taxes and they made it to where you can only deduct up to $10,000 in total taxes. That's including state income tax, real estate tax, or sales tax. So no matter how much you pay for any of that, $10,000 is the most you can deduct for that. And most people in the country are not paying over 13000 or 27000 depending on how you file, with all of those itemized deductions, which it does make things easier when you file because you're not really having to get all of those documents like your mortgage interest statements and all of that because you know that it's way less. So it makes it easier, but it does confuse people a lot because maybe in the past they were able to. So now we're going to talk about what is included in that. And if you already know that you're going to use the standard deduction, you would know you don't need to gather that. And what are the things that are not included in that that you could still deduct? Okay. So let's start at the top of the form. The top of Schedule A is medical deductions. 
Now, medical deductions have an additional limitation. All itemized deductions have a limitation in that they have to be higher than the standard deduction or we don't take it. Well, medical specifically, you take all of your medical expenses and you subtract 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. Adjusted gross income, that word, that term might be confusing people, but that really is, for the most part, just your total income. There's a few things that can be taken out of that to come up with AGI, but mostly you can just think of what's my total income. That's probably my AGI or very close to it. So let's run that again. Let's say you make $100,000 for your adjusted gross income, then your medical expenses would have to be over $7,500 for you to get any benefit for it at all. And so if you had 8,000 in medical expenses that year, then then you would get to put 500 because that's just 8,000 minus the 7,500 and you would put 500 as your medical expense. It's deductible that year. That's a lot of words from Carson, but it's only allowing you to deduct what's above 7.5% of your AGI. So that's not a great deduction. No. And now if you had a lot of medical expenses that weren't covered by insurance, then you know there might be something there. But you have to have either a low income or a lot of medical expenses or maybe both in order to see any, any benefit from the medical expenses. Now that was one deduction question that came in a lot. So the question was, hi, this year we had a lot of medical expenses between our kids. It was about $3,600 can I use this? I have heard that you can deduct medical expenses. And the short answer on that always is likely no. And if you didn't have like a very, very significant year with medical, like probably over 10,000, should you probably even look at it. But if one of our clients does come in with, you know, a ton, we'll definitely look into it. But because of the specifics with this, it's just, we just don't see anyone using it. Right. Now, this is why we always recommend people use an HSA health savings account if that's available to you. Not every insurance plan has that option, but if that's an option for you, use it because that is a way that you'll always get to deduct your medical expenses. All right, let's move down the list. Next, we have state taxes. This would be your real estate taxes. Um, you get a special deduction for sales tax. It's it's just calculated automatically. You don't have to actually go add up all your sales tax for the year. Um, or if you're in a state that has state income tax, first of all, my condolences. Second of all, uh, you could deduct that if that's higher than your real estate taxes, you can use that instead. But the total of all of those taxes can't be higher than 10000 um, and Or, well, they can be and they probably are, but you can only deduct 10000 of that. So the next one is mortgage interest. Now there is a cap on that. If your mortgage is over $750,000, you don't get to deduct all of the mortgage interest that you pay. Um, but other than that, you can deduct all the mortgage interest that you pay for the year. And if you're getting a mortgage in these last you know, year or two, then it could be a pretty big deduction because the interest rates have gone up a lot. All right, the next one is your charitable contributions, donations, tithes. They all mean the same thing to the IRS. This is anything donated to an organization that the IRS deems as tax deductible. This could be your church. This could be Goodwill, the Red Cross, anything like that. And what are the specific rules on this? How much can you give? Is there a cap? There is a cap, but it will almost never apply to anybody. For practical purposes, you can just assume that it's all deductible, but right now the limit is 60% of your income. 
So if you're very, very charitable and you want to give more than 60% of your income, you don't lose that deduction forever, but you can't take it that year. You have to carry it over to a future year where you give less than 60% of your income to charity. It does happen. There's some very generous and very wealthy older ladies that have money sitting there uh, that we know that give a lot of it away, and but they don't have a ton of income. Uh, so it does happen, but it's very rare. Yeah, we do have a lot of clients who tithe to the church and they might do like 50000 for the year. And in that case, they're already over the standard deduction. They know they're going to be taking that and it's not close to that 60%. So that does happen. So you can be as charitable as you want to be. Right. And you know, in the future, it might be more common because if people are listening to our advice and contributing all of their retirement to Roth when possible, then they might retire and be drawing money that's tax-free. And so any money that you give to charity at that point, it might be over 60% of your income because you might not have very much income that's taxable. That's true. Well, those are the main itemized deductions. And so remember, it's not just about getting over 7.5% of your AGI for the medical. Once you have that amount, that plus your real estate taxes, plus your mortgage interest, plus your charitable contributions still need to be more than the standard deduction of 27700 for a married couple or 13850 for a single person. Or else, of course, we would just take the standard deduction because that's bigger. There's a few other things that are on Schedule A. We'll probably talk about those in a different episode because they're specific, like gambling losses. Those are on the Schedule A, but they work in a very different way from the rest of the deductions. So we'll talk about gambling income and gambling losses in a future episode. And that's why our answer always has to be, it depends. Right. Because things are so complicated. Right. But if you're nowhere close to 7.5% of your AGI, we can at least save you the time and effort it takes to gather all of your medical expenses from the year because it's very unlikely they're going to help you unless if you know it was a lot. Exactly. So hopefully that helps you understand this standard deduction, what it is, and if you even need to gather all of those documents this year when you're filing. Now let's discuss what are those little deductions that are not in the standard deduction that people can still take, like student loan interest and things like that. Okay, so let's talk about some of these other deductions. They're not itemized deductions, so they're not on the Schedule A. These are deductions that you'll get to take even if you are using the standard deduction. And so sometimes people call them above-the-line deductions. That's a nerdy term you'll hear accountants use, and that just means that the line is your taxable income before your standard deduction. These are deductions you would take before you get there, so they're above the line. Okay, nerd (laughs) alert. So the first one is educator expenses. That one's still around. So if you're a teacher or a principal or a music teacher, if, if you work in public education or even in a private institution that's K through 12, you get to deduct educator expenses. And that is whether or not you use the standard deduction or the itemized deductions. Most people don't get to deduct work expenses if they're a W-2 employee, but there are some exceptions. If you are in the military reserves, there are certain expenses that you can deduct. If you are a performing artist, a musician, or something like that, there's some certain expenses you can deduct here. Um, or if you work for the government, there are certain expenses that you can deduct for that. Uh, other above-the-line deductions include your health savings account deduction, which we highly recommend if you're eligible for one of those. 
Moving expenses only if you're in the military. You can't deduct moving expenses anymore unless you're a military person. And the move is for military. You can deduct retirement contributions to certain types of retirement plans. Or if you're self-employed, you can deduct your health insurance. And that's not a Schedule A medical expense. That's deducted somewhere else where you get to use it no matter what. You can deduct alimony, but only if it was alimony from a divorce granted before a certain date. So you'll need to look in the details on that. You can deduct student loan interest up to $2,500 of student loan interest per year. And there's a few other more obscure ones that don't really apply to anyone, but feel free to take a look at page two of schedule one of the form 1040 if you want to see what any of the other ones are. So those are the most common ones. Those are deductions that you can still take even if you're taking the standard deduction. Hey there, have you ever thought of setting a meeting with your CPA to discuss personal finances? If you have, we have the perfect thing for you. We created a four-week workbook to walk you through everything your CPA wants you to know about personal finances. So we're going to dive into personal finances with budgeting, savings, retirement, calculating what you have now and what you need to get you where you want to go, setting financial goals, and life insurance. This also includes four weeks of email support from us when you buy the workbook because we want you to pick it up and hit the ground running. Check the show notes for the link to purchase and use code podcast when you check out for a discount. Now back to the show. Now we're going to pivot a little bit to these next questions, and these are mostly pertaining to business owners and specifically those who have a Schedule C business. So one that came in was, if I have a home office, can I deduct all of my utilities or a percentage of them? How does that work? The home office can be deducted two different ways. One of those is you can take the percentage of your office to your whole house. So if it's a 120 square foot office in a 2,400 square foot house, that's 5%. And then you could deduct 5% of all of your house expenses, including your insurance, your utilities, and things like that. That's a pain. You can go back and add all that up if you want to, or you can use the simplified home office deduction. Which is what we use. Yes. So it's what we recommend because it's way easier. And you take $5 per square foot of your office area only. So that same 120 square foot office would get $5 per square foot. So that's a $600 deduction for that. Okay. And to piggyback on that question, I have an office, but I also have a home office. Can I deduct my home office if I have an office somewhere else? No. If you have a place to go work where you can actually drive there and sit in an office, having an office at home on top of that is just for your convenience. So you don't get to deduct that. And same goes for if you're an employee, there's no way to deduct a home office, even if you work from home exclusively. So this is only for people that own a business. That is one big confusion because it used to be if you were a W-2 employee, there were some working deductions you could take, but that was phased out a while back and people still think that they can use that. There really is nothing that you can use to deduct your working expenses as a W-2 employee. So unless you have that Schedule C business on your tax return or a different business tax return, you cannot deduct any of that. 
No, there's no way to do it. They even took the form out where we used to do that. So there's, I mean, there's no way to even try to do it. Yeah. A lot of people are like, well, I spent all of this on my uniforms or I spent all of this on travel or whatever out of pocket expenses. And there is just no way for us to deduct that anymore so that they just do not allow it. If you're in this position, we highly recommend you speak with your employer and say, hey, y'all do get to deduct these things. If you pay for my uniform, if you pay for the advertising, if you pay for these things as a business, you get to deduct that. As an employee, I do not. So I really think that I should be reimbursed for this or you should be paying for it up front so that I don't have to pay it out of pocket and I don't even get to deduct it. Exactly. You shouldn't really be paying all of this out of pocket anymore because there's no benefit for you. You should definitely have that conversation. And if you're planning to spend $500 a month advertising for your W-2 job, then just have your employer pay you $500 less and and pay the advertising for you. At least then you don't have to pay tax on that $500 of income. We have a lot of listeners that have new businesses or they just started. And so this question actually came in quite a few times. If you started your business in 2023, but you didn't have any sales yet, so only expenses, no revenue whatsoever, can you deduct those startup expenses? Or do you have to wait until you actually start making revenue? You can deduct a certain amount of startup expenses in the following year when you start having revenue, but you can also deduct them in certain situations in the year that they happened. So even if you had no sales, if you were open for business and trying to have sales, then and you had those expenses, then you could deduct those because you were open and available for business. Now, if you didn't actually open the doors until the following year, then yes, you're going to need to save those expenses and deduct them in the following year. So what you're saying is, let's say in the last quarter of the year, you were buying stuff. So maybe you're buying an equipment or you were finishing out a new location, something like that, but you didn't quite get started until the next year. You could still save all of those expenses that you purchased the year before for your next year tax return. Up to $5,000 worth, yes. And so as long as you, and that's if you didn't open the doors and you weren't open for business, then you need to save those for the next year. Now, another scenario though is a realtor or a real estate agent. A lot of times they start, let's say they start in the last quarter, so they didn't actually sell any houses, but they were trying. They were out there trying to sell houses and they had mileage, they had realtor fees and all these things. Well, that person can deduct those expenses and just have a loss on that Schedule C, even though they had no sales that year. So yes, the answer is you can deduct those, you know, depending on your situation, even if you didn't make a dollar. And you're going to deduct them eventually, either in the current year or the next year. You won't lose those expenses no matter what. That leads us into the next question, which is how many years in a row is it okay to file a loss on my business? The IRS considers that you're in the business to make money if you have a profit three out of five years. So to me, that usually means that having a loss three years in a row is bad because then now that's made it impossible to have a profit three out of five years. So we strongly discourage people from having a loss three years in a row. Now, that being said, there are certain businesses where that's just inevitable. People that are farming, that are raising cattle, they grow their herd for years and then they have a big windfall one year and they make a lot of money. But for, for three or four years, sometimes they don't make any money because they didn't sell any cattle. Yeah, and we're in Texas. We see that there's not much scrutiny on Schedule F, so farms. 
Right. Because I think that the IRS understands that the nature of that business, that it takes them years to grow and, and they will have a big windfall year and they'll end up paying a lot of taxes in that one year. But other things that kind of sound like a hobby, they might get scrutinized more strongly. You know, if you're in into woodworking or horse racing, but you never make any money and it's just lost year after year, I think that the IRS will come in and say, no, that's a hobby. Uh, you can no longer deduct this loss against your other income. Yeah, that's really our line right there. If we see someone, and some people take it just way too far. They give us like, hey, I had $50,000 worth of loss these three years. We kind of go, okay, like we don't really feel comfortable filing this because it is going to create a red flag because what's happening is you have a loss on that, it's going to decrease your other taxes. And so the IRS does not like to see that. Right. And and just think about it from our perspective. As your CPA, either those expenses are not legitimate and then we don't want to do your tax return, sorry, or they are legitimate and I'm strongly advising you close that business and stop yeah. doing it because you lost $50,000 three years in a row. It's time to find another job. Yes. So if you do not want your return to be flagged or a possible audit, nobody does. Definitely don't be filing a loss year after year on that Schedule C like hobby business, whether whatever you're doing on there. And that does come up a lot because I know people are trying to balance like maybe you want to loss the first year or two and that can be expected sometimes, but you don't want to keep doing that year after year. Another business question that came in a couple times was about a business cell phone. So if you have a Schedule C business, which is filed on your personal tax return, sole proprietorship, if you have that, let's say you use a cell phone for business and personal, can we take part of that or how do you do that whenever it's just one phone? Yes, uh, 50% of the cost is, is pretty much the standard that everyone uses. So it's pretty simple when people ask us this question. We're like, if you paid $100 a month, let's just take half of it and we can easily put it on the return. Even if it was paid personally, we can put it on as a business expense and just take $600 as the deduction. Right. And if you're in on a family plan, and then we would take, I guess, just 25% because we're taking half of half. <laughs> so unless if your spouse also works in the business. One deduction that we didn't get a question about, but we also remind our clients about this every year, is if you have a business to make sure that you're putting the mileage that you're putting on your personal vehicle if you use that for your business. Right. And this isn't for people that have a vehicle that's 100% business use. This is for people that are using their personal vehicle for both personal things and for the business. Those business miles add up. And now the deduction is 65 and a half cents per mile. And so that really helps a lot. And you're probably driving a lot more than you realize if you go back and add it up. Exactly. So you just want to make sure that you give your CPA the number of business miles that you put on your car and they can go ahead and put that in your tax return. And you would just say, hey, I drove 5,100 miles for business. My total mileage was this and then they can take it from there. Well, that's all we have for you today on common deductions. But if you have any more questions about what you can deduct and what you can't deduct, then feel free to reach out to us. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to What, what Your CPA, CPA Wants You to Know podcast.
This podcast is intended to provide accounting and tax information for educational purposes only. All tax situations are unique and should be handled with the assistance of a tax professional. 